Hey, podcast community, it's Eric, and I've got something exciting for all you online entrepreneurs out there. If you're looking to take your e-commerce store to the next level, you need to check out Aurora Repricer. With Aura, you can effortlessly reprice your Amazon inventory automatically. Ready to elevate your Amazon business? Head over to foxcitiesmm.com slash Aura. That's A-U-R-A to get started today. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And Gavin, we're back with another episode. What do you got for us? I've got some uh, sheets of paper here, and I've got uh, I've got a Starbucks triple shot. Which is, this is crap, by the way. Yes, it is. My, well, you should expect that. It's got Starbucks's name on it. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry if a listener out there is a lover of Starbucks. I, I think that we we just all have to grasp the concept that it's just really not that good. It's not that good. But you know? oh, but that isn't even the point. Which, gr- granted, Starbucks like regular coffee. It's terrible. <laughs> This is this is what this is what really bites my butt here. This is what this is what chaps my ass. This is this is a triple shot. You can get a double shot. You can get a triple shot. I go for the triple shot because I like caffeine. But the triple shot is two hundred and twenty-five milligrams of caffeine. Okay. Now, if you're just the casual person, that might be a lot of caffeine. If you're someone who drinks coffee regularly, that's nothing. Really? Yeah. That's see, I wouldn't even weak. know. That's know. weak. If you haven't hit 300, <laughs> that's weak. And it's never, never, let me just add that on top of that. Even if you're a lover of Starbucks coffee, mm-hmm. it's never a good idea when a company like Starbucks starts canning their yeah. product. That just doesn't, in my eyes, that's just like a red flag to stay away. So yeah. for some reason, Gavin still bought it. I mean, it tastes, it's it's a mocha, so like you can't, it can't taste bad, bad. but it's, <laughs> anyway. So for Fox City's Murder <laughs> yeah, 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 I was just going to say, this episode has nothing to do with Starbucks. No, <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. Starbucks, not a sponsor. Yeah. For this episode, I'm going to do something that I don't think we've ever done before. I'm actually going to start out with a with a disclaimer, with like a, with a warning. Almost every week, we're talking about murder. I feel like you know, listener discretion uh, is is kind yeah. of part of the deal. Like you know what you're getting into. You're listening to murder stories. This one, I think, has a couple parts that our next level graphic. Yeah, are, are a little are a little not. Not great, you know. Not that murder's great, but you know, it, it might be slightly more sensitive than usual. So uh, just be aware of that. If that's something that you think is going to bother you, don't listen to this one. But otherwise, I'll, I'll push on ahead. I don't get that choice. I have to listen. You to do. It, so. <laughs> you do. But you're, you'll be just fine. As a young man, Jack Hibbard worked as a daredevil named Lucky O'Hara. He would crash cars and get fired from a cannon. His most famous trick was lying inside a coffin that was surrounded by exploding dynamite. Pretty cool trick. So now I'm going to break you out right there and ask a really stupid question. Is a daredevil just like a stunt double or is that something... Is that would be like what we think of where a guy goes on YouTube, makes a video, and starts himself on fire? More like the second one. Okay. Yeah. So this is like... um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's... I guess today, yeah, it'd be kind of like jackass. <laughs> yeah. But but what this guy would do is he would go to, like, county fairs, and it would be a show oh. that he would be like, let me do some things that look really dangerous. But, you know, but he knows what he's doing, so they're hopefully not. <laughs> uh, he later told the Green Bay newspapers, when I was a kid, I kind of hooked up with a Daredevil outfit, and I changed my name to Lucky O'Hara because I didn't want my mother to read that her son was in that kind of dangerous business. I always told her I worked as a mechanic. I always loved the feeling of seeming to be reckless, and I liked the excitement and the travel, and I liked the crowds, too. Some later reports referred to Jack as a movie stuntman, but I, I have not actually found anything to he support that. He was actually in. Yeah. So I don't know if that's accurate or not. And did you say where the where we are right now, like location? We Well, the, the bulk of the story is going to be in Green Bay. Okay. Jack married a woman named Blanche in Winona, Minnesota in 1945. Uh, They had one child, Harry, uh, who would be known by the nickname Butch. Nice. On March 4th, 1948, Jack was arrested with a woman named Viola Johnson for lewd and lascivious behavior. They were released on $150 each. I don't know the specifics of what this lewd and lascivious behavior was, but uh, apparently they were doing something with each other and somebody saw them doing it. Doing it. it. Okay. Enough said. Yeah. Maybe connected to this, maybe not. Uh, Jack then got divorced from his (laughs) wife, Blanche. (laughs) And custody of their son, Harry, went to the mother. Jack had to pay $50 a month in alimony and child support. Allegedly... Blanche, um, his ex-wife, her treatment of Harry was very poor, and Jack fought to get placement of his son. When he finally succeeded, Harry arrived at his house malnourished, dirty, and became a chronic bedwetter, a problem that he'd had for years. Harry developed some unusual behaviors. He preferred to defecate in a bushel basket in a nearby woods over doing so in his own house, and on one occasion... He was suspected of shooting his own dog for fun, although the dog did survive. Wow. Yeah. Something something messed this kid up pretty good. Yeah, not, not good signs right now. No. Around 1950, Jack, the father, was convicted of assaulting a woman and spent some time in prison. So Harry then went with his grandparents for a bit. In 1957, Jack more or less gave up his daredevil work to become a full-time employee of North Central Airlines, which was based out of the Austin Straubel Airport in Green Bay. Okay. Now we're getting up to the core of our story. It's 1960. The population of Green Bay is around 63,000 people. The Packers were a popular team (laughs) and the city's claim to fame. But they were still very much a local thing. People have to keep in mind that 1960 there wasn't even a super bowl yet. yet so although everybody loved the packers this wasn't like the major national craze that it is today jack got remarried this time to a widow named joyce rudell and took in her three children john judy and janice the family lived in a rural part of green bay at 2626 hazelwood lane which allowed the girls to ride their horse shorty and practice their Girl Scout lessons. <laughs> Butch, or Harry, the oldest child, kept to himself, 
as far as conversation, but was active in neighborhood football and baseball games. Harry also liked to golf. He pole vaulted, and he liked to ride his stunt bike on a course that he made in the backyard. He was a student at Green Bay West High School, and he actually lettered in track. A little bit of an athlete there, yeah. Jack, the father, was widely believed to be a violent man. Joyce often had bruises, and it was assumed that Jack put them there. The best friend of John, the stepson, said, He had an intimidating personality. He never smiled. He wasn't vocal to anyone in the house. He was just there. One neighbor said that Jack abused Harry like hell. On one occasion, Harry broke his arm, but Jack refused to take him to the doctor. And to be clear, I don't think that the father broke his son's arm. He just had a broken arm. arm. But either way, it's like, tough it out. (laughs) Don't go to the doctor. (laughs) Joyce began telling her parents she was going to leave Jack and take her kids with her. In January 1963, Harry, his stepbrother John, and another friend, Norbert, were involved in a cigarette-stealing incident. As a result of this incident, and poor grades in school, and difficulty getting along with his stepbrother, Harry was taken to a local psychologist, Dr. Thomas Gribb. Dr. Gribb said that Harry suffered from a personality disturbance. He wasn't psychotic, but he did have personality problems. They decided to make some follow-up appointments. Okay. At this point, do you know where any of this is going? Not really, no. Good. 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 I really wanted I really wanted this to be not clear where it's going. On February fifteenth, nineteen sixty three, it's a couple days after the, the doctor appointment. Harry attempted to purchase a pistol, but was told that he was too young to do so. Two days later, Harry went hunting using one of his father's automatic rifles. Uh oh. February eighteenth, nineteen sixty three. Harry attended school in the morning but he was absent in the afternoon. At noon, he telephoned Norbert, (laughs) the guy who was involved with the stealing. I'm sorry for people named Norbert. I think that's a fun name. Um, He he telephoned him and said, could you uh, pick me up at at 5.30? We'll meet uh, two blocks from my house. I'm thinking of running away from home. And Norbert said, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) <laughs> Apparently, they had discussed the possibility of him running away for a while, so Norbert didn't think this was unusual. That afternoon, Jack was resting on the couch for a pre-dinner nap, as he usually did. A bullet went in his head, and then two more in his body. Harry stood over him, carrying his father's handgun and rifle. John, age 15, was shot in the back, but was not taken down immediately. Three more shots followed with at least one in his head. Judy, 11, was shot twice in the head, and then Harry was out of bullets. He switched to the rifle. Janice, also 11, was hiding under a table, and she only needed one shot in the head. At approximately 5.30, Joyce, the stepmother, arrived home from the dentist. She was seen by a neighbor as she arrived. The father and the children were already in the home dead, but before she could even notice them, a rifle took her down. Wow. Now, okay, I'm confused a little bit. This is Harry shooting, right? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. 
Okay, I wasn't sure if if like Harry was there with a gun, but somebody else was shooting, or no. At this point, it's very clear. Up to this point, I kind of wanted to give the impression that you didn't know whether Jack or Harry was going to be the bad guy. Okay. Um, at this point, it's Harry. Yeah, it's but definitely Harry. <laughs> it's definitely Harry. Just like I wanted to to make the point that. There's more than one questionable person in this house. And I, I just want to backtrack because um, you said there was multiple kids killed as well, right? Yeah. Those are all the wife's yes. children, right? Yes. Like, like, Jack didn't have a kid other than Harry. Correct. Okay. Just wanted to clarify that. Yes. Harry is Jack's only biological son. son. Yes. yes. Uh, Norbert met Harry at the appointed place at around... 5.45. Harry was carrying a bundle of bloody clothes and said that he was leaving home. This was not surprising, because he had talked about running away in the past. Harry then buried the bundle in the snow. The friends had supper at Norbert's house, and then Harry spent the night at a farm on Highway 32 uh, near Pulaski. At approximately 6 o'clock p.m., a telephone call was made to the Hibbard home, and no one answered. The next morning... Jack failed to arrive at work. He was supposed to be there at 5.30 in the morning. A co-worker and neighbor thought this was unusual and asked his wife to telephone the Hibbard home. The lights were on, the dogs were barking, but no one answered the phone. The neighbor then telephoned the police. When they arrived around 6.25 a.m., the police observed through the window what appeared to be bodies on the floor. The detectives entered the house and discovered, yes, there were, in fact, bodies. All of the victims had died at approximately the same time. Here's a really strange part of this now, all right? If you weren't already, like, listener discretion, Mm -hmm. here's another moment of listener discretion. Strangely, Jack Hibbard's penis was outside of his pants. A neighbor said this was not unusual. (laughs) What? And anyone walking past the house could look in and see Jack resting on the couch this way. When police questioned other neighbors, they said Jack was rumored to be sexually assaulting his stepdaughters and would peek in neighbors' bedroom windows, but it never went beyond rumors. Yet apparently he would routinely take before-dinner naps with his penis (laughs) hanging out of his pants. I don't know... There were at least two people that said that was normal. That's I don't, bizarre, but okay. It's extremely bizarre. First of all, I don't know why you would do that. But second <laughs> of all, especially, like, why would you do that when you got kids in the house? Yeah. Like, but whatever. I'm just throwing it out there. That's part of the story. Detective Norman Daniels was in charge of the investigation. His first order of business was to put out a statewide search for Harry. Harry was immediately suspected of being the killer rather than a victim especially after the detectives found a note in a pair of jeans suggesting where Harry might have gone. Brown County Sheriff's Department Lieutenant Richard Schrickel was sent to Pulaski. Cleverly, he asked Harry's friend Norbert, the same friend from before, (laughs) to drive to the Pulaski house while the officer hid in the back seat. When Harry came out to greet Norbert, the officer placed him under arrest, popping up out of the back the seat. seat. <laughs> uh, the police had tear gas canisters prepared just in case, but they, they didn't end up needing anything like that. 
Harry was taken into police custody and questioned about the killings. A search of his school locker revealed two different murder plans written out in a notebook. They included what gear he would need during and after, as well as how to clean up and slow down people looking for him. The plan was not entirely realistic. His end goal was to enroll at Pulaski High School under a fake name until everyone accepted his new identity. Even if this was possible without some sort of adult support, authorities would surely find him, as when you're from Green Bay and you're hiding in Pulaski, I don't know if people know the, the geography here, but they're not that far. Mm-hmm. So if you like, if you run his photo in the newspaper, someone in Pulaski is going to see this. Mm-hmm. It's not a not a great idea. The newspaper interviewed the local reverend, who said Harry was a good, quiet boy. He was real active in church. He attended church regularly and was well liked. Oddly, Harry was actually the only member of his family that went to church each week. So each week he would go by himself. I find that odd that a teenage boy would go to church by himself, but apparently he did. Harry was interviewed by the district attorney. He actually denied committing the killings, but then confessed to them. The police found the bundle of bloody clothes uh, buried in the snow. Along with the clothes, they f- it, it contained a twenty-two caliber revolver, um, which, of course, ballistics matched to the bodies. Uh, Harry was charged with four counts of first-degree murder. Here's a, here's an odd thing, I think. He killed five people, but they charged him with four. And the reason they did this is just in case he got acquitted, then they could charge him with the fifth. Really? Like, I, I, I've never heard that strategy before. Yeah, but I guess I can see it, right? Yeah. I mean, because of maybe they looked at it from the perspective of, okay, if we charge him with four... The charging him with the fifth one is going to do nothing because right. he's going to go to jail forever right. if he gets convicted of the fourth. So we might as well keep the fifth one around just in case something happens and we can charge him again. Yeah, you know, I guess that does make sense. It right? makes it makes perfect sense. I've just, I've just never <laughs> heard of that being like, oh, just hold on. If they if they declare you not guilty, we've got another. You know, we can't recharge you because that's double jeopardy. But we can add this other we didn't do the first time. I like it's a decent strategy. It's interestingly thought of doing that. Family had a funeral plot in Mosinee, Wisconsin, meaning that there was quite an entourage of hearses and other cars from Green Bay to central Wisconsin for the funeral. A relative said that it was the largest motorcade she had ever seen, which I'm sure that's true. <laughs> Strangely to me, Harry was actually given permission to attend the funeral. Uh, he declined. He decided he didn't want to go. I can't believe they would let him go. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> um, but they did. Uh, they did offer it to him. Early news coverage was slow, although many considered it to be the worst crime in Green Bay's history up to that point, and and maybe since. And some reporters even drove as far away as Milwaukee to cover the story. The police had put a firm order to various people, even the assistant principal of the high school, to not talk to reporters. The press instead ran a story on how they weren't allowed to cover the story. <laughs> so that was, that, was a, that was a fun one. <laughs> Harry was examined by two court-appointed psychiatrists. They believed that a root cause of the violence was feelings of rejection and rivalry. They turned the report over to the judge, and Harry was declared insane, unable to stand trial, and committed to the Central State Hospital in Wapan. 
He stayed there for a couple years until he was declared sane, and he was brought back to Brown County to stand trial. All right? Good so far? Good so far. Okay. So now he's on trial for the murders. He pleads not guilty, as well as not guilty by reason of insanity, which, you know, you would. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's another interesting thing that happens. This is a very legal, technical thing that happens here. Because he's arrested in 1963, but he doesn't end up going to trial until early 1968, there's a number of motions that are filed. And on May 1st, 1968, Judge Donald Gleason ruled statements made by Harry to police in 1963 could not be used at trial. Judge Gleason was not pleased that, that he had to make this decision. He didn't agree with the decision that he himself made. Um, <laughs> but he had to follow the guidance from the Supreme Court. Specifically, what had happened is the very famous Miranda case had gone through the Supreme Court. Which means, you know, you have to give somebody their reading their rights before you start interviewing them and letting them know that they can have an attorney and all this other stuff. Okay. That was not a thing in 1963. So he never actually got his re- rights read to him. Right. I mean, they could have almost thrown it out at that point? or Well, I don't know. Decision was made that because between that time and the trial date, this is now the law, anything he said without his attorney present, you got to throw, throw it, out. it out. You cannot mention any of that. Which was a huge help to him, because obviously, you know, he's a 16-year-old kid. kid. He breaks down and tells them everything. I note for myself that this is not part of the judge's ruling. I'm also really surprised that they thought it was okay to interview a kid, like, in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> like, regardless of what the Miranda rules right, are, sorry. like, just be like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to interrogate this kid without a lawyer or a guardian or somebody present. Not that that doesn't happen. I feel like that should just be an automatic thing. thing. Yeah, and you feel like that would have always been an automatic thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... If you're a teenager or or even younger, whatever, if you're a kid, and, like, you've got a group of, like, detectives, like, putting you in a room and, like, pressuring you for hours, you're going to crack. Yeah. I don't care who you are. You're going to crack. Exactly. So, like, that's not... That's questionable to me. But whatever. That's beside the point. Harry filed a motion for change of venue on the basis that the existing community would be very prejudiced against him, that motion was denied. Uh, eventually, the judge that took over was Judge Robert Gulmer, who at this point was very famous. He's no longer famous. Nobody knows who he is. But he was famous at the time um, because he was the judge in the Ed Gein trial. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go through the trial, but ultimately the jury did find Harry guilty. And furthermore, they found him to be not insane. Defense motions were made and denied. Judgment was entered, and Harry was sentenced to concurrent terms of life imprisonment on each charge. For people who don't know, concurrent means that instead of serving them back-to-back, he's serving them all at the same time. time. So he's got, he's got multiple life terms, but he's... When one is done, they're all done. Done. Which, when it's life, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But <laughs> the big difference here is is how that works with like a the parole board. Like if you're serving concurrent terms and you get parole, he would be released. If you had consecutive terms, 
if you had got like one charge like reduced, the next one would kick in. That's really the big difference for the like when you when you so when you got multiple life terms, it's not like it really matters in, in but in a practical sense. So the way you're describing it though, there was a chance he would get out of prison with the way he was sentenced. He was eligible for parole, yes. Yeah. But they still had that fifth murder in their back pocket. So they could probably if he got out just charge him with that, right? Yes. I mean in theory. I got a little little piece more. If you got anything, throw it out. Well, I the biggest thing I'm curious with this is that I get it. Like, it sounded like his father was abusive and stuff yeah. like that. So I get the motivation to murder his father. Yeah. Did you mention anything that suggests why he would have killed the rest of the family as well? No. And um, and actually, this is a really good, um, it's a really good time to throw this out there. Some of this comes from the newspaper. But actually, the bulk of this episode I'm taking from a book that's called Harry. The title's Harry. And the subtitle is something like A Study in Teenage Psychopathic Murder. Something like that. I'm sure I'm goofing that up. It's a local Wisconsin author. So they go into some fair detail about this. And yeah, like it's it's really weird. If he had killed his father... Not that that's okay, but I think he would have had a fair chance of making it out. You know, they would have been like, okay, he's done this, 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 this. Killing him wasn't the correct thing to do, but the jury might be sympathetic to that. Mm -hmm. There was nothing in the book or the newspaper articles that indicated to me that there was any reason that anybody else... Should have been killed. Should have been. I mean, this, this not. Why would they? Like, there's like two eleven year old girls. Yeah, but I mean, but that any any sympathy the jury would have had for him gone. Yeah, and there was something you said. I don't remember specifically what it was, but made me think that like he was probably kind of like the outcast. Like they were all a family, and he was just like the kid from the other family that that just kind of got like oh, go away. Yeah, type deal. But still, I mean, I think that's accurate. So he's he's growing up. He's bouncing back and forth between his mom, his dad, his grandparents, and from the sounds of it, nobody was really treating him well. Despite that, he adjusted to like high school pretty good. Yeah, then he's in this family. You know, the the stepmom has got her three kids. You know, so I don't know. I wasn't there, but I'm assuming she doesn't think of him as her kid the way she thinks of the other kids. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely, he's always. Feeling on on the outside and uh, yeah, he's just kind of like he's almost like a third wheel within the family because yeah. he just doesn't belong anywhere. Yeah, and yeah, but none of that. I mean, none of it justifies yeah. it, but it's looking for like what what triggered. Oh this, yeah, you yeah, know what you I have mean? to wonder. Yeah, you have to wonder. And yeah, like I say, if he had if he had killed just his father, not that that's right. You know, not that he shouldn't maybe serve some time for that but i feel like he'd have it'd be more sympathetic i mean yeah like his his step family would still be alive mm -hmm. his stepmom would probably testify and be like yeah this guy was an asshole oh, yeah you i know? was about to divorce him because yeah. he's such a horrible person so you know again murder's not the answer <laughs> you would at least understand like okay i see what pushed you here and people would be like if you were in the same position you would feel the same way mm-hmm there's really no way to be like, if you're in the same position as me, you're going to kill your entire family. That's pretty hard to, to yeah. explain. 
Can you see why I put the viewer, the lizard discretion on this one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this is pretty intense, intense stuff. stuff. We can we can kind of joke about it a little because we want to be lighthearted. This is this is not good. Yeah, this is brutal, 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 brutal killing. I mean, yeah. there, there's no there's no short end of it. Like, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I got uh, two little tiny pieces left. Okay. As of 2023, which is right now, Harry is still in prison. Really? Yes. He now refers to himself as Hawk. (laughs) He has grown a ponytail, and he claims that he has embraced his Native American ancestry, although nobody knows that he is Native American. (laughs) (laughs) He might be, but nobody knows that he is. Like, they're like, we don't. He's not what? Maybe he maybe he found a, a smidgen of it in there somewhere. I don't know. He's actually had no behavior or adjustment problems in prison. He's held many jobs and he was even considered a candidate for minimum security. Ooh. Uh which when you've killed five people and that's, you got minimum yeah, security, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. There were a couple conduct reports saying that he'd been involved in fights, but you know, it's not really unusual in prison. Yeah. Like you're whether you want to or not, you're probably gonna get in a fight. He had no violations of drug, alcohol, or sexual behaviors. All in all, absolute model prisoner. Six, 60 years in prison, one of the longest prison terms in American history. And per- really? And perfect behavior. Wow. Yeah. And does he, do, do we know, does he come up for parole? or at, like, He does. At, do we know when that is? He's actually appeared before the parole board many times. Okay. Um, but it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And you would figure if he's done it many times at this point, they're just simply not going to let him out, right? I mean. Yeah, I don't think think so. so. He's, for people who who need math assistance, (laughs) the murder was in 1963. It's now 2023. That means it's been 60 years since the murder, 60 years that he's been either in jail or prison. Yeah, if they're going to let him out, they would have let him out. Because, like, dude is absolutely not a threat to the community. Then you you got a couple things where one, you don't want to be you don't want to be the governor who signs off and yeah, letting the guy who killed five people. And two, could he even function in society? That's a, yeah, that's a very good point. Because I mean, wow, what a that's a massive step away living one way for sixty years and then yeah. to come out and have to start all over. Yeah, at what point so, does it actually become? more humane to keep a guy in prison prison because that's just all he knows (laughs) yeah the murder house remained standing on hazelwood lane for a while real estate agent jan melberg lived there and had no complaints (laughs) she sold the house to mike and susan schuster who lived there from 1994 to 2003 susan believed the house was haunted and she could sometimes hear a radio play in another room she said the ghosts never frightened her, and when she could notice that there was something going on, she would just say, I don't mind that you're here, and live peacefully with the ghosts. <laughs> but you said the house is actually still standing? It is as of when the book was written. I don't know if it is it's today. today. Okay. I, I, I could have easily checked that, but I didn't. But either way, it, it was relatively recently. But that blows my mind. Yeah, that blows my mind, too. Like, you would have thought that house was marked to get torn down right yeah. after this happened. Yeah. But 
But then again, it was a different time back then. So, I guess. You know, like, but they, they, they clean it up, you know, whatever. And then the agent's like, hey, who wants, <laughs> who wants to buy this beautiful house with like the little horse ranch in the back? And everyone's like, ooh. And she's like, by the way, five people got killed here. <laughs> like, that's, that's a tough sell. Oh, well. So gruesome, brutal. Another, another. Green Bay has some stories, man. Yeah. I, I've got to say that because I. And I even think of like I think that crazy story we did a while ago that started and it went all the way up into Minneapolis at one point. Oh remember? yeah, that all started in Green Bay too, if I remember yeah. right. So yeah. <laughs> like, like Green Bay's got some history. Totally, it? yeah, and you know, and and I don't know, I don't know this stuff. I actually had never heard this story, and then all I did was I did like a search for books on Wisconsin true crime which is how I found the Harry book, which I did not know existed. And then this story is like the main story in there. And holy crap. I don't know how this is not a known story. Like maybe in Green Bay it is. I don't mm-hmm. know, but we're not that far from Green, Green Bay. Bay yeah. So I'm, I'm surprised that like this has never come up. So is, um, did you, so did you read this Harry book? Yeah. Is it pretty readily available and like would you recommend it if somebody's interested in this that I'd recommend I'd recommend it. The the author I don't remember exactly what his background is, but he has some sort of like a a law enforcement or like youth offender background. Mm-hmm. He's a professional. He's supposed to, you know, know about this sort of thing. Um so his his opinions on things should carry some weight with people. Overall, I mean, I don't care. Like his opinion part of it doesn't matter to me. But the, the him telling the story, like he was able to add things that never made the newspaper, um, because he had the reports it's and stuff. stuff. So I thought it was good, and it's not a very long book. It's a it's a pretty thin book. I don't even know if it's a hundred pages. It's not a big book. Cool. All right. Well, that'll. I mean, make you think when you're thinking about, and if anybody knows where, what it was at Hazelwood Drive is. Yeah, Hazelwood. I might be a little like, I don't think I'm going to walk down that road <laughs> with after hearing this. So, so. But yeah, that's, I, there's these stories and, and I'm surprised. Like, that's one of the things, like, I do this podcast because I like the history part of it. You know, the murder part. We use the murder part to draw people in. in. Yeah. I like the history part. and But either way, like, I'm surprised how often a story comes up where I'm like, I had no idea. It's it's amazing all the stuff that's happened and then just apparently we just all forgot. Yeah, I, I well, totally. And, and I mean, in many ways, this story, now while this story is way more brutal, mm-hmm. but this reminds me a lot of the finding body parts all over Appleton yeah. story we did. Because yeah. like... And same a, time frame too. Yeah, like a lot of people I talk to don't really remember that story that well. And yeah. And I'm like, how would how would you have been around during that period and not remembered something like that? Because right. it just seems so out there and so unlike this area that how could you miss it? You know, but that's what happens. Yeah. So. Oh, and I, I'm gonna throw one more thing on here uh, again. This listener discretion here. <laughs> I don't remember if the book talked about this a lot. Definitely, it occurred to me that. 
you know, there's like the parallel with like the school shooting stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, oh, this is like this modern thing where kid has a bad day or, you know, has been bullied or whatever, and they do this stuff. And, you know, obviously shootings are, you know, definitely more common or at least a bigger part of the news than, than they had ever had been. This is the 60s. They didn't just pop out of nowhere. Like, this, you can find stories of kids snapping and doing, doing horrible things. things. Yeah. Like, it's, it's it didn't just start happening. It's interesting to see that there's there's a history there. And there's another story we'll be talking about that's actually similar to this story and happened in Sheboygan. There's more teenagers who just go on a spree than you might realize. It's it's a thing. And I think it's really interesting that you brought that parallel up between the school shooting in this story because when you were telling this story that there was a point in time where in my head mm-hmm. i thought that's where it was going yeah i thought this guy was gonna go like i think it was around the time when you were talking about nor he was trying telling norbert to pick him up or something like yeah. that that i thought he was gonna go to school and shoot shoot up the school but no. he actually inevitably just shot up his entire family no. so as far as i know and maybe i'll find something different you know on this podcast as far as i know i mean school shootings are a more modern thing just the idea of a teenager, particularly a teenage boy, not adjusting well and having access to firearms can go very bad. Yeah, and and just you got to imagine he just this he snapped, man. Yeah. I mean, like like he probably he probably regretted this after he did it, but he was so upset that yeah. that it's just it was a moment of weakness. Yeah, it's creepy. It's so. very creepy. Well, with that, I think we can wrap this episode up. We can and, definitely and, wrap this episode up. I'm sure we've run pretty long on it, but <laughs> definitely, in my opinion, the most sensitive one we've done yet. I know there was one other one I know we did that was like a little questionable, but can't you can't really joke about this. Like yeah. this is this is some dark stuff. That was and scary. Yeah, just scary. So. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we thank everybody for tuning in. We hope this one wasn't too gloomy for everybody, but we will be back, I'm sure, in two weeks with another new episode because yep. it sounds like Gavin just keeps on piling them up. Yeah, so. I've got a, I've got a fair amount. I've got, I've got a Sheboygan story. I've got a Sturgeon Bay story. I've got a another, maybe, maybe even two. Been finding more reservation stories. Oh, I bet you those are actually be pretty good. Too. I love the reservations. I find it fascinating. So, do you think that um, the Sheboygan story will probably be the next one? Then, or are we? Do you want that one? We can do it next. I mean, it's they pair well. They pair well. So, if, if you want that next, we can get that out of the y- way too. Yeah. So, why don't we plan on that? The Sheboygan story that is very similar to this story. So yes. we get all the doom and gloomy stuff yes. out of the way in one shot for yes. everybody. There we so. go. There we go. That makes sense. So with that, we'll wrap this episode up again. We thank everybody for tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.